0: Good. I'd like to ask for your attention. Uh, some follow-up on last night's topic of the of nimitta signs, markers, or as a uh, an interesting translation of that term, also themes. A theme. And one of the thing that one of the things I didn't mention last night is. Um, Sometimes the texts speak of the theme of the beautiful subhanimita or the theme of that which is repulsive, patighanimita. So we have a mind that is geared to pick up on particular themes. Now these themes don't just occur to us as patterns of thought or patterns of emotion, they already occur to us as patterns of attention. In other words, our attention seeks out a particular theme. As I tried to outline in the, the typology last night, you know, the desire-oriented person or the aversion-oriented person or the doubtful person or the anxious person. Yeah. So if we have these patterns as patterns of our minds, then our attention will seek out those themes accordingly. So it is important to know what your theme is. Um, there are no good options, really. Yeah? <laughs> so just just give yourself, don't be embarrassed or ashamed or so. Um, we're here to learn something and we have to learn what, our, what this particular mind picks up on. You know, what themes does it pick up on? Studying the patterns of attention, where, when I have all the choices, there's a famous story, I won't mention any names, but it's uh, it goes back a few years. And this was when the place that is now Amar- Maravati Monastery uh, was obtained. It was a rickety old school from cedarwood cladding on a chilly hill up the uh, north of London, uh, built <laughs> built up out of barracks, cedar wood cladding, half a metre over ground, the most cheap way you can possibly build, um, and camp sort of houses. Arjun Zomeda used to call it a concentration camp, just literally what we were doing. <laughs> It's a Buddhist concentration camp. <laughs> for his winter retreats, he coined that term. This is what we were about. We were doing concentration, so we were in a concert. So it wasn't a. It was a school. Um, an old school, and um, this the need for this place came about because. Um, when the community was was given a forest down in the in the in the southern south of England, in the Oaklands of western West Sussex, um, the community moved into this derelict Victorian mansion and started building it up. And by the time the building was finished, it was too small. You know, like so often when you do things. Uh, you put in years and years and years and work, and then, you know, you've, you finally got it finished and you realize it's tragically no longer what we needed, you know, what we need now. It was exactly what we needed ten years ago, but unfortunately now that it is finished, it, it doesn't really serve our particular purpose. You know, the community had, um, uh, you know, a nun's community, which suddenly didn't fit in there, and the monks were kind of... Uh, pouring out of all nooks and crannies and so basically we need, needed community needed another place needed a bigger place so they were looking for a, a bigger place and they found a school so there's two monks going there <laughs> looking at this and, <laughs> and one one of them stood there and said you know, look look all this space, look all these possibilities look all this you know we can plant a grove here you know and the other one looked at the same thing and said, "But who who will mow the lawns?" <laughs> 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 yeah, and it is, you you could see the attention, the attention for, of those of those two in the unnamed individuals, yeah, <laughs> fell on two very different sides, yeah, so. One of them perceived this space to be an endless uh, openness of possibility and potentials, and the other one uh, perceived this to be just an equally <laughs> endless <laughs> kind of round of chores and duties and upkeep and maintenance. Yeah. yeah. And you can't uh, flaw. You know, both of them are in many anyway, ways accurate. Yeah, both of them are accurate. Yeah somebody who has has helped uh, build that place. I can assure you uh, mowing is quite a sizable task there. Or repairing these old huts, or fixing them, isolating them, and probably now tearing them down again and uh, starting anew. So it's not that these two signs would be completely wrong, it's just that they are different. And it's necessary to find out what kind of Pattern your mind gravitates to. So this is one component of the nimitta. I like to add. The other component. I, I boned up on Homer. Huh? I boned up on. Uh, in, in the meantime, the uh, the lady is called Eurycleia, and was the wet nurse of Odysseus, and she recognized a scar on his thigh, uh, a scar he uh, obtained as a as a as a, as a young man, uh, he was uh, injured by, I believe, a boar, um, and uh, he comes back and uh, appears as a as a wanderer. And Penelope is kind of kind to him and uh, asks that his feet be washed. And the old uh, the old nurse of Odysseus, you know, quite aged, uh, takes care of the the dusty wanderer and washes his feet and uh, recognizes the scar on his thigh and uh, he uh, grabs her by the throat uh, and kind of pulls her close and, and makes sure that she doesn't reveal who he is, you know, because the time has not yet come for him to reveal. So he is, he is both harsh and tender with her. And then she doesn't say who he is. He manages to to uh, to quell her her shout, and um, she does not reveal. So you know he goes on later, uh, making his glamorous appearance and doing away with this with Penelope's suitors. Um, so this one is out of the way. Good. I wanted to come back to this notion of nimitta because it just torments meditators, because they read in the Visuddhimagga and hear from some of the teachers that the only way into deep stillness, into a jhanic absorption of mind, is via a visual nimitta. And this is simply not true. Yeah, I can only state that with personal conviction and with emphasis. Uh, it is not true that you need, for deep, concentrative absorption, a visual nimitta. I personally believe there has some confusion occurred in the course of the uh, centuries of commentarial interpretation of the teachings on particularly Anapanasati. Um, if we look at the sequence of commentaries, the old one, it's obviously Patti maga, the path of discrimination and then the next one is the vimutti maga the path of liberation and then the famous one quite a bit later is the visuddhi maga the path of purification and if you look at these things if you look you see a development <coughs> the pathisamvida maga is quite clear there are both tactile and visual nimittas um, um but the emphasis is on the tactile the vimutti maga speaks of visual possible nimittas but warns against them and the Visuddhimaka speaks only of visual ones and seems to take the visual ones as the indispensable prerequisite for jhana so while the one of the commentaries the older one actually warns against it and, and insists that one should stay with the tactiles and say with the tactile dimension of experience with the breath the Visuddhimaka seems to Uh, Do take a very opposite taste. And although the tactile is still mentioned, the visual one, the visual uh, sign is given prevalence and in fact is described as the way forward, which is, you know, is a complete uh, vault, Uh, it's a complete turnabout in in the course of interpretation. Um, So the reliable. Part is understanding a sign as something your attention can rest on and can deepen into. Such a sign may be tactile, it may be visual, it may be auditive, it may be gustatory, it may be olfactory. Um, So we not all of these uh, nimitas are necessarily good meditation nimittas, good vehicles for the stilling of mind. As I pointed out to you yesterday, that in my case I could never make much of the auditory nimita of the sound of silence. I've never found that to be a reliable uh, way into stillness. It increases, but it uh, uh, has side effects for me that have made it not really desirable as an object of meditation. The I. Have my understanding the tactile in, in my personal experience is much more reliable, um, and it is the tactile. In fact, the, uh, the the old texts describe it as the the touch of cotton on the skin. Well, so this is a very paracanonical simile, nimitta being described as the touch of of the thread of somebody who makes a cotton thread from cotton wool, or the touch of a tuft of cotton on the skin. Yeah? So this is how one of, one example how a nimitta is described. And um, generally, the commentaries speak of the entrance, both the mouth and the nose, the entrance point, uh, as the place where uh, attention should follow and continue to be present for the nimitta of that tactile experience when we breathe in, when we breathe out. Interesting, all of the commentaries seem to agree that the air element is crucial. And then something goes wrong. The, uh, the early commentary or the Suttas describe um, a qualities of lightness and uh, effusiveness as a quality of mind, as a metaphor of a mind quality, brightness, lightness, airiness, even, um, and uh, uh, luminosity, and then the Maka takes these things that were meant to be metaphors actually as as it takes it literally. You know that this has to appear as a star or as a particular cloud, or um, so the what the sutta the, you described as a, as a, um, in terms of metaphor, mo- most reliable way to convey a message over centuries, you know, withstands the, the butchery of translation. You know, if you stick to images and similes, this carries often a lot more meaning and is more robust in conveying, um, conveying semantic clarity rather than uh, trying to get this into. Uh, definitions which then hinge on translation, which then hinge on context. And things can go a lot more wrong uh, if we stray away from the images, so sometimes it is really useful to go back to the image the Sutta gives, and because the image is a lot more clear than the the terminology that we need to um, translate and retranslate. So I think some of the metaphors used for the qualities of mind have turned into actual visual sense experiences or what the commentaries call the patibhaga Nimita. There is a, a distinction of three types of Nimitas. I don't want to hold this from you. So I tell you, although I do not actually believe in the sequence of this, uh, I do want to mention them. So the first one is a, a nimita that is called the parikamma nimita. It's a nimita that we take up as an exercise an image we actually construe by looking at something. And the second one is an anugaha nimitta, which is an Nimita that has stabilized, yeah? although it is still weak. Now we're no longer having a direct sensory input. In other words, we have our eyes closed in case of a visual nimitta and the image is still there. And the third one is what the commentaries call a patibhaga nimitta, a counter-image, which is the stabilized, clear, inner version of what we have seen in terms of sense. If you translate that into the other senses, it's the sound, the stabilized sound of something you have heard, but no longer is in your sense organ present. Now I'm sure you know such experiences. I don't think they are indispensable for gaining stillness of mind. Certainly not in my experience, and uh, I've spoken to a few people over the the years. Um, These things are quite different from person to person, in which sense channel they are appearing, or which of them are... um, are doable as meditational objects to take you to deeper stillness and clarity uh, is highly dependent on your type of conditioning, your type of mind. Some people are more visual, other people are more auditory, other people are more tactile. Generally the tactile dimension seems to be the most reliable one because um, it is least mentalized and it uh, has a more powerful way of modulating the somatic dimension of our experience. So feeling a sensation and staying present with the felt quality of that sensation has a more soothing effect than observing that sensation, quasi from a distance. In other words, using the visual metaphor rather than the tactile metaphor. It strikes me also as obvious that whenever you read about samadhi in the old text, then often the uh, the language used for experience of samadhi is always very physical. It's bodily. Um, While the wisdom aspect is described in terms of eye and vision, uh, the face aspect is described in terms of heart. The samadhi aspect; these are three big axes. Yeah, in, in development, say, of uh, stream entries, so, yeah, once-returner, non-returner, arahatapala, these three axes are coming up time and again as different approaches to these degrees of realization. For the samadhi uh, axis, mm-hmm. the imagery is always bodily. The jhanas are described in terms of bodily analogies in the suttas. One who is Capable of deep absorption and who uh, goes the path of absorption to freedom is called a kayasaki, a body witness. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. Whenever you come across the uh, metaphorical language around samadhi, the, the the verb pusati, to touch, is used. Yeah, this is quite uh, uh, surprising for. Um, if you think that jhanas are uh, states in which your sensory experience is dramatically diminished or reduced, yeah. So in a way, you are you are at your least physical. That that for something where you are at your least physical, uh, at your least somatic, that the, the language described used to describe this experience is most physical. Well, it's always struck me as a strange a strange. Um, This is a field of tension there, but that also tells us something about the role of body, even uh, at the moment of great mental stillness. So I'd like you to ponder in your own deepening of Anapanasati, the sign of uh, your experience of the breath is this, where is this all of the traditions agree it is necessary to identify a place and keep coming back to that place yeah. that place may be small or it may be sizable important is that you return to that place do not follow the movement of air we are not actually contemplating air when we do on we contemplate the sensation connected with the in and the out breath you know, these are different things and those sensations they have a locus they are in the body at some place and it is that place which we keep returning to and obviously the experience of breathing changes when we when um, the mind becomes more still what may have been a fairly precise place and a fairly Uh, chiseled type of experience when we begin to sit down and settle the mind may become more expansive, it may be less contoured, it may become more subtle, Uh, it seems to lose its physical dimension. That is normal. So if you're very controlling and afraid of not doing it right and you may feel tempted to Emphasize your breath in some way, to make it stronger so that you feel more, which would be counterproductive. The idea is not to feel it more or feel it better, but to let that experience of refinement in your breathing experience, take the mind to a greater refinement. So you will have to let it change. You will not be able to just establish this is the task and now I'm sticking at it till he rings the bell. This is not the idea. The idea is that this will be the entry point for your practice and then something will happen and in that change, you know, your mind will become more still. Another dimension of your breath will become apparent. Maybe the fluidity, maybe the, the, the beauty of this, maybe the subtleness of it, maybe the, the fact that it penetrates all parts of your body, maybe that you don't have to do it and it just happens. Yeah differing dimensions speak to us uh, on on occasions uh, about breathing and you will find in there what the tradition calls a nimitta and the nimitta uh, may be just the sense of touch or it may be how you are touched by this you know as a as an aspect of feeling gratitude or appreciation or or grace You you may feel That there is something granted in there. Something bestowed. Something you don't need to do. Something where you don't are in a position to fix something, do something, prevent something, get something off the ground. This also would be a a nimitta. So there is many ways the nimitta can manifest in your life. When you're a meditator, when you attend Gently and carefully and with possibly no judgment, and if your mind is crazy and mad, you will need to to make sure that you get it. You will need to be like the uh, like the farmer, I think I spoke of two or three weeks ago, the guy who loses his cows during the day and rather than chasing his cows into the forest. Knowing that he would never get them when he chases them into the forest, just goes to the watering hole, and he knows uh, when the heat is highest, the cows will come out. They will want to drink, and when he let lets them go into the watering hole, he knows they will come out and stand there for a moment, and that is the moment I'll go and catch them. I'll put the rope of mindfulness and the goad of sampajanya. Uh, I'll and and take them back to their task. Yeah, so. Rather than chasing your mind, let it, when you notice it has run away, simply acknowledge this, acknowledge possibly what it has run away to, and then you come back to the anchor place in your body where you have known the breath to have resided before. And that's where you keep meeting that breath. It'll turn up there in no short, in no long time, it'll turn up there. And you continue attending gently. And if you find you're being ambitious or goal-oriented, just acknowledge this. Don't expect suddenly not to be ambitious and not goal-oriented. You just have to gentle. You have to gentle yourself, even with the bits you don't like. It's natural that if you feel something good is happening in your life, to to want more of it. It doesn't work. That's true. (laughs) This is not how it works. We all know that. But... uh, You have to be patient with that part of you who wants things even though they don't work. It's completely counterintuitive. So just be generous, return, be gentle, and try not to get anything. Try not to prevent anything. Try not to control anything. Try to find something beautiful in there. Try to find whether you could savor your breath. Savor that moment, being on your cushion right now here. Yeah. There will be a time you'll be hankering back for this, I can grant you, I can pr- promise you. Yeah. When all the knee pains are forgotten, and the fact that you, you don't like tempeh and it's tempeh day. You, know, <laughs> you will have forgotten all this, and all you will think is of a few inspiring moments, you alone with the Buddha at night, or something like that. Yeah. So say, why don't you savor it now? While it's happening, rather than try to savour the memory of it, carefully edited and airbrushed and you know, all the bits removed that make the memory less perfect. Why don't you just savour it right now while it's happening? Seeking how could I savour this breath? How could I savour this mind and body? May this made, made his mind and body be happy right now. Yeah? So, wish yourself this with every in-breath. May this whole Akinjana condition be happy. Yeah. On breathing in, may it share its happiness with others being here, in my life, in on this planet. Seeking to appreciate, seeking to be grateful, seeking to celebrate the goodness that takes place in your life right now. So. Take this as part of your Nimitta practice. I've put up some uh, notes to see people. So please have a look. Uh, so the people who have arrived, uh, the last intake, uh, I would like to see you this morning. So please, after this sitting, go over there and have a look at the board. Uh, you're, you're on, you should be on the list to be seen this morning.